Revelation chapter 2, this letter to this church in Smyrna. By the way, that town is Izmir today. This town of Smyrna still exists. It's the third most populated city in Turkey. Population over 300,000. And out of the seven churches, it's the one Smyrna, there's still a Christian presence there, remarkably. And only 5% of Turkey is uh, Christian by name. So remarkably, this is the church that the Lord talks to about martyrdom and persecution. And it's the church that's still kicking there in Izmir, this church uh, of Smyrna. The Lord says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, tribulation, poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things, which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation for ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear with the Spirit, saith unto the churches, He that overcometh, shall not be hurt by the second death. So this is a church in the midst of persecution and suffering and martyrdom, and it is a church where there's no reproof from the Lord. There's no correction. Uh, There is a challenge. Um, And it's so interesting, you know, you, you can imagine the Lord's heart at the end here. He's saying, look, whoever has an ear... You know, individuals, all of us here today. Let him hear what the Spirit is presently saying today, 2,000 years later, to the churches, plural, not just Smyrna. So wherever the churches are today, there's a challenge, and for you and I, to hear what he's saying. And certainly he talks to all of us over the fact that we are not to be hurt by the second death. The first death may hurt, but the second death ain't going to hurt us, you know. And he wants to talk to this church that's being martyred and persecuted and say, I've been there, you know. Write to the angel of the church of Smyrna, unto the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, these things saith the first and the last, he who became dead and is alive. So Jesus talks to this church now and then as the one who's the first and the last. He was there before time, before anything else. And he's going to be there when it is all over. And he says, in the middle of that, I became dead. He allowed it to happen. He entered into it. He was the cause and the victim. I became dead, he says. Um, Not which was dead. I became dead. And I'm alive, present tense. He's alive now. Certainly the resurrection, but that resurrection produced a life that is still happening today. And he's speaking to his people, his sons and daughters, uh, broken around the world, and that are suffering. You know, uh, one of the pilgrims said that uh, that God has one son without sin, but none without suffering. 
And, uh, you know, this is talking to those people. Look, the church of Smyrna is still alive. And to many Christians around the world, maybe out of the seven letters, this is their favorite because of the circumstance they're living in. But the church of Smyrna is still alive in Russia. It's still alive in China. It's still alive in Iran. It's still alive in countries around the world where Christians are being persecuted and martyred when we have pastors come from the Middle East here, from Syria, different places. They'll tell us about eight-year-old kids who refuse to renounce Christ and have their heads cut off. Eleven-year-olds. You think, what a different world. What a different place to live. What a different perspective. For you and I, suffering is... We have to wait in line six foot behind the next person at the checkout stand, you know. For you and I, suffering, you know, you think of what, and whatever we're struggling with, whether it's the, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, the COVID, whether it's politics making us crazy, whether it's racial injustice that still exists, these different things, whatever this world, here he's giving us a picture of something that comes deliberately to destroy the Christian life. And, he, and he's the one, look, Jesus Christ suffered as a man in three ways. He suffered as a man, he suffered for man, and he suffered by man at the hands of man. Paul talks about you and I may fill up the sufferings of Christ. That in the sense that we may suffer as a man or as a woman physically, disease, persecution, martyrdom, rejection, you know, all these different things in life that can come upon us. So we have a high priest that can be touched with our infirmities because he suffered as man. But then he suffered for man, which none of us can do. That was the divine will. That was propitiatory. He died for the sins of mankind. We will never suffer for man. But then he suffered at the hands of men also by man, And certainly, you and I may experience that, and this church in Smyrna was experiencing that. They had a long history before Christ, probably some say over a thousand years before Christ. Alexander the Great had rebuilt the city. Lysimachus had finished it, one of his generals. And then at 195 B.C., The Roman Republic, which was the Republic then, recognized it as uh, as an official Roman province, and they built a temple to Roma, the female goddess of Rome. Um, And there were temples to Aesculapius and to Apollos and to Zeus and the, the Pantheon, the Roman and Greek Pantheon. But in 25 AD, before this letter was written, It was chosen out of six major cities to be a city where they built the first temple to Caesar worship in Smyrna. And uh, so it was 100% in favor of Caesar worship. All of the benefits of Rome came upon them. They're about 35 miles north of Ephesus. Ephesus the wealthiest city probably because of the bank capital, but their harbor would fill with silt all the time. It doesn't even exist today. Smyrna was the second most prosperous city in that part of the world, and they had a harbor for smaller boats, for larger boats, never clogged with silt. They actually made it so they could close the inlet from the sea 
to you know so that if there was war people couldn't get in to their city they had an arena that sat 20,000 uh, again libraries all of the accoutrements of a, a metropolis in those days um, Homer was born there and they had a building in honor of him Strabo one of the local historians said it was the most beautiful city in the world it was the jewel of the Roman Empire um, it was built on the side of a hill uh, there were large cypress trees everywhere. There was a street called the Crown, and it had all of those different temples to all of those different gods and goddesses, and at the top, the temple to Zeus and to Caesar. And it kind of looked like a crown from a distance, with all this white marble and all this, you know, the uh, cypress trees and so forth. That's interesting. A crown is promised to uh, these sufferers here in this town. So as time goes on, you know, the early Caesars in the Republic didn't go for the fact that they were deity. They wouldn't allow Caesar worship. They understood they were just men. But as you get to Nero and Domitian, you know, Nero loses his mind, Domitian, Caesar worship begins. And by the time this letter is being written, um, Caesar worship is mandatory in Smyrna. And what that meant is if you were going to be in a guild, you're going to be a craftsman, carpenter, goldsmith, you know, stonemason, whatever it was, they had, like, like unions, they had guilds. And to be a member of one of those guilds, you had to have your papers that you worship Caesar, and then you were worshiping one of the other gods in the pantheon. So once a year, you had to come to the temple of Caesar you took a pinch of incense and you put it on the altar and you had to say Caesar is Lord. And if you acknowledge Caesar is divine Lord, then you can go worship your own God for the rest of the year. And once a year you got the pay. They actually gave you a paper that, that made you legitimate. Don't you wish it was that easy to be legitimate? So, of course, the Christians rebelled against that. They just couldn't say that Caesar was Lord. Look, a lot of what goes on around us today in this country, they're wanting us to say Caesar is Lord. We can't gather, we can't sing, we can't worship our God. Caesar is Lord. Just give us a pinch of incense and we'll leave you alone. We can't do that. Can't do it. You live by our morals, you live by what we say is right. You know, and the whole thing's been reversed, it's been turned upside down. Uh, it's very hard to do. John is writing, Jesus is dictating, his heart is broken for this church in Smyrna. John is writing to the angel of the church, the elder, and his name is Polycarp. He was 30 years old when this letter was written. He becomes a martyr in 155 AD, February 23rd. Polycarp had been a disciple of John. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, tells us about the times that Polycarp spent with John, and there were several other eyewitnesses still alive at that point in time, not the apostles. And John had a, a Polycarp had opportunity to talk with them, talked at length with John about Jesus walking on the sea, Jesus raising Lazarus, Jesus, you know, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. Polycarp was a disciple of John, and as John is writing to the elder of the church at Smyrna, you know, he's thinking of Polycarp, no doubt. 
And Polycarp then, in 155, as Caesar worship becomes more prevalent and demanding, the Jews in Smyrna, and it was a very wealthy city, they hated the Christians, hated them, because they made trouble. They wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. It was bringing pressure on them. Uh, so they encouraged the proconsul, and the proconsul said, I'm going to get Polycarp. He's a leading figure. He's the teacher of Asia, and we're going to get him and make him say Caesar is Lord. So Polycarp, 86 years old then, he knew they were coming for him, and the church was begging him to run, to go to another, but he, he, he stayed on the outskirts of the city in this farmhouse, and when he heard the Roman soldiers were coming, he made them breakfast, he made them a meal. When they came, he told them to sit down, relax, eat. He said, do you mind if I pray before you take me? And they said, well, no. He prayed for over two hours. You know, when you go get burned at the stake, you take a while to pray, you know. So he prayed for over two hours, and they said, we wish we hadn't found you. And they took this old man, and they brought him to the pro-council. The pro-council, the people were packed into the arena. And uh, the, he said, look, you, you know, it's very easy. I want you to just say Caesar is Lord. Then we can tell the, the crowd here that you've done that, that you're not claiming to be a Christian. Because claiming to be a Christian meant you wouldn't bow the knee to anything else. He said, well, I can't, I can't do that. He said, he said, I've walked with him for 86 years. And he's never been unfaithful to me, not once. How now can I blaspheme the name of my Savior and Lord? And the proconsul said, well, what do you mean? How is and he said, look, I'm not going to defend myself in front of all these people, but if you want to go sit alone somewhere, I'll tell you about Christianity, tell you how you can be saved. And, no, no, no. So, so he said, look, you need to do this. The crowd was screaming. He said, I'm going to throw you to the lions, to the beasts. And Polycarp said, well, bring them on. And the crowd started screaming to burn him at the stake, and the Jews were running firewood to the center of the arena, putting it around the post so they took Polycarp there he said, he said I'm going to have to burn you at the stake he said light it up so they took him and they were going to nail his hands to the post in the middle of the kindling in the wood he said no no need I'm not going to go anywhere I'm not going to run you can burn me here so they tied his hands behind his back and uh, they came and they set the wood all around him on fire and they said as the fire came up it formed a sphere around him, like, like on every side. And he stood in the middle, and he wasn't burned. And as it started to die down a bit, the proconsul was so mad, he made somebody go and, and stab him with a dagger in his heart. He was singing. They said so much blood came out of the wound that it put the fire out around him. And they said and there was this white smoke rising. And they said it was the sweetest smell they had ever smelled, probably smelled like myrrh, which Smyrna means, you know, this sweet smell. And he died there. And uh, the Christians said, can we take him, you know, his body? And the Jews screamed, no, no. So they burned, they started the fire again, and the church only received ash that. But he so encouraged the church to stand for Christ that within a few years after this, at one point, they brought 1,500 Christians into the arena, and they all died at once. After that, they brought 800 Christians into this arena, killed them all. None of them renounced Christ. A hundred years after he was martyred, 
the Romans decided to have a hundred year anniversary, so they took the bishop of the church then and they killed him to celebrate Polycarp. So you can imagine John's writing to this bishop, this elder of the church there in Smyrna. And he says, you know, Jesus is saying, you tell him this, I'm the one, the first, I'm the last. I'm the one who became dead and I'm alive forevermore. Just think of the Lord's heart. Because look, his challenge is going to be fear not. Then he makes a promise with it. Look, anybody here enjoy suffering? We'll get you counseling right away. Anybody? (laughs) Yeah. Nobody enjoys suffering. Nobody enjoys pain. You know, when the Lord says fear not, it's quite natural for us to kind of rear back. Nobody, you're going to say we're going to be thrown in prison. We're going to be tortured. We have to be faithful to death. Eh, No thanks, you know. I mean, it's interesting. I remember Billy Graham, you know, he said, he said, look, I'm prepared to die when he was old under medical care. You know, he said, he said, I've been preparing other people my whole life, preaching the gospel. So he said, I'm ready to die. He said, but nobody ever warned me about getting old, you know, and just the medical care, the suffering, you know. And you think, you know, we're ready to die, aren't we? It's just how, you know. I think about it sometimes. Firing squad wouldn't be bad as long as there's good shots. Guillotine, that wouldn't be bad. Eating myself to death with cheeseburgers would be wonderful. <laughs> you know, but this was torture. This is imprisonment. Uh, you have to imagine what these dungeons were like. A friend of ours that will come here and speak once in a while, Daniel Messiah, that's not his real name, uh, Mohammed Kamal is his real name, raised in Egypt, a radical Muslim, death to America, uh, death to Israel, and uh, went to church with a friend, so he could make fun of church and got saved. And uh, then started to preach the gospel here, and they put him in prison in Egypt. He said, now you have to understand, prison in Egypt. He said, dirt floor, stone walls, 20, 30 guys in a cell, one corner everybody goes to the bathroom in. Food may come through the door one day, every other day, and everybody fights over it. He said, guys get beat up and killed in there. He said, there's no light. And somehow, politically, someone was able to get him out, and he went then to Europe he came to America, and he has a ministry here now, you know. And uh, part of what he was doing, he got into the prison system to be uh, a chaplain in the prison. He said, when I got there, he said, they kind of took me around. He said, they had TVs, they had a movie room. He said, they had mattresses on their bed. They had, they had a workout room. He said, I thought, this is a hotel. This is not a prison. If I can't, if I can't find work in America, I'm going to commit a crime and come here, he said, you know. You know, so you have to understand prison in this day, a Roman dungeon, you were thrown in there. You may develop leprosy and die there. You may die of starvation there or of cold, you know, being thrown in the prison. Who wants that? Who wants that? And the Lord is saying, fear not. Look, we live in a a culture filled with anxiety. Right now, everybody's afraid. Everybody's fighting an invisible enemy they can't even see, you know. We're going to all die of Clorox wipes, not of COVID. (laughs) Right? Because there's a sense, what if I get this? What if somebody gets it? What if this? 
And, and there's, attached to that is a sense of loss. What if this person, people have died of it. What if this person dies? What if I die? What if, the, you know, fear is rooted in a sense of loss. There was no fear when Adam walked with God in paradise. When Adam sinned and the light went out and he was separated from God, he says, I hid myself. I was ashamed. I was afraid. He knew he had lost something. And all fear is anchored in a sense of loss, whether it's losing a life, losing a friend, losing money, you know, whatever it might be. Fear can't exist in our lives without a sense of loss. And Jesus is saying to this church, you may lose some things temporarily. Second death's got no power over you. I know, I came, I'm the first and the last, and I became dead. I took on human flesh, I walked among you, I allowed them to kill me, I'm alive forevermore. If you need encouragement, I've been there. I've been there. And he says, here, I know thy works. If you look there in the next verse, he's talking. He says, I know thy works, thy tribulation, and your poverty, but thou art rich. Interesting. I know your works, and that again, laboring to the point of exhaustion. I know how hard this church, he, he compliments them. He says, your tribulation... Uh, Philipsis in the Greek means to be under pressure. Again, tribulum, the Latin word, means to drag the threshing sled over the grain and separate the wheat from the chaff. It's interesting. I know thy works. I know completely, divinely, thy works, thy tribulation, and thy poverty, but thou art rich. The poverty here is abject poverty. No job, no food, no place to live. It's, it's the word that means the worst kind of poverty because they were put out of the guilds, they were put out of work, they were being persecuted, they had nothing. And Jesus said, I know your poverty. You know, it tells us in, in Corinthians, he left his place, his wealth, and he became poor so that you and I might be rich. He says to the church in Laodicea, Jesus again himself in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and you don't know, he says, that you are wretched, miserable, look, poor, blind, and naked. So he says to the church that thinks it's wealthy and it's got everything together, you don't understand the kind of spiritual poverty that's in your life. He says to this poor church that's suffering, yes, you may be physically poor, but you're wealthy because of what is waiting for you, what's ahead of you. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who pastored here in Philadelphia, said, we have to make up our minds. Every Christian must decide, do we want to stand with the poor, rich church or with the rich, poor church? Do we want to, do we want to stand with the poor, rich church or with the rich, poor church? Because there's plenty of those around. There's plenty of those around. He says, I know what you're going through. I know this, but look, my perspective, where I stand, you're rich. I understand your suffering. I understand your poverty. I understand what you're going through. And he says, I know. Oh, Edis, I know completely. Uh, a number of years ago, interesting, and I, I remind myself of it when I come here. Uh, one of the gals in our church um, here in the area, um, one of our senior citizens coming, 
And her husband was like, nah, I don't need to go there. He was a Catholic. I don't need to go there. You go there. You want to go there? You go there. Fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. You know. So then he gets cancer and he ends up sick in bed. And when that happened, we end up over there, changed the storm windows, changed the antifreeze, did you know everything that he would normally have done. And he finally said, you know what? If I get out of this bed, I'm going to that church. I want to see what's going on over there, you know. And he passed, but he got saved before he died just by simple reaching out of the hands of Christ, you know. And within a year, one of our other widows, the same thing. Her husband had said, I ain't, I ain't going. I don't need to go. I don't pop, 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 pop. Same thing, got cancer. And uh, folks from church went over, and they helped. They worked. They straightened the house up. They brought meals. In fact, the neighbors said, where is this church? They bring food all the time. I want to join this church, you know. And the husband said, if I get out of here, I'm going to go to that church. I'm going to go to your church. And again, he passed. So I went over to the house. Uh, and he had passed that morning, undertaker had taken the, the, the body. I'm talking to the widow. I was younger then. And uh, I knew what to say in one sense, because I knew the scripture. And she was broken, and I would at least be able to say what was true. And we talked about pain, about the Psalms, and so forth. And while I was there, there was a knock on the door, and the other widow who had lost her husband a year before, came in. And they both froze. And they stood there and stared at one another. And the tears started to flow. And the widow who had lost her husband a year before said, I know. And they ran and embraced each other and sobbed. She said, I know. And Jesus is saying to this church, I know. I know. He's saying to the martyrs around the world today, our brothers and sisters that are in prison, that are suffering, I know. I put the skin on. I walked among you. I took the beatings. And it tells us in Hebrews, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was heard with strong crying and tears because he feared. Now, he feared because of the sin of the world. Isaiah 53 was going to be put on him. He feared because he was going to die the second death for us. But he's saying to the church, then and today, fear not. The second death has no power over you. Just the first death. No big deal, right? <laughs> or a wimp like me, that's a big deal. No, it's just, it's just the first death. The second death doesn't have any power over you. I know. I've been there. I've done it. I'm alive forevermore because I live. You also are going to live. I know thy works, thy tribulation. You are rich. You are poor, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. You have to understand Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. You know, a lot of the early church were Jews. What's happening here now, though, this Jewish community is antagonistic. Not only are they helping the Romans persecute Christians and put them to death, they're constantly starting these rumors about the church. Now, from, from Luther to Hitler, these, developed, these stories developed in Europe about the Jews, that they were killing children and drinking their blood and so forth. At this point in Smyrna... 
the Jews were saying, well, these people believe they have to eat flesh and drink blood. And they were blaspheming, of course, Jesus, but saying this is what Christians do when no one's around. They're killing children. They're eating flesh. They're drinking blood. They did, they did this whole thing. Jesus said, look, I know. They claim to be Jews. They're not. They're of the synagogue of Satan. And then he says, fear none of those things which thou shalt, you are about to suffer. He doesn't say, don't be afraid. You ain't going to suffer. He doesn't remove the trial. He says, fear absolutely none of those things, present perfect tense. It's, it's, I'm sorry, it's an it's a imperative perfect tense, present tense, imperative. What did I say? Blech. Present imperative. But present tense means it's ongoing. Imperative means this is not a suggestion. You need to do this. You need to not fear no matter what comes, and you need to continue to have that attitude of not being afraid. Now, that's hard for us, isn't it? And there are Christians who live in fear. Yeah, you know, and we all know them. They get tortured. You know, you, you can imagine their face right now. They worry about anything. People who worry have to be in control because they're worried if the, that if they don't worry, nobody else will worry. And anybody who doesn't worry to the degree they worry isn't really worried. Martha's the same thing. If they don't, Martha accused Jesus. I, here I am working like a dog. You let my space case sister sit around here and do nothing. You know, people, you know, there's people that just, and it doesn't say he who overcomes is, is not going to taste the second death, but he who doesn't overcome is going to taste the second death. That's, look, he's just saying the overcomers. You know, the, one of the things they see and, and within their view is eternal death has no rule over them. But there's some Christians who die in fear. There's some Christians who, who struggle with this, and they're finally set free. Fear from that sense of loss. He says, fear, you must now stop and continually stop fearing those things. He says, look, which you shall suffer. It's going to happen. Behold, another imperative. Behold means think about, look at. He says, this is not a suggestion. You need to consider this. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. By the way, that's passive. There's a trial that's going to come upon you. You're not asking for it. It's coming your way. The devil's going to throw some of you in prison that you may be tried. He says... And you shall have tribulation ten days. I'm not sure what ten days means. I read it nauseum. Everybody's got a different opinion. The major opinions are the ten days are ten periods of persecution that came on the church. The problem with that, it doesn't work because two of those periods were already over and they're into the third period and it's future tense. These ten days shall come. So... That doesn't work. Some try to say, well, this is really 10-year periods. Because when they studied the mission, and so some of these different Caesars, they seem like they reign for about 10 years. Eh, you got to torture the text to, to kind of get, and mathematics to get that. There are places in the scripture, if you want to look on your own, Genesis 24, 55, Daniel 1, verse 12, Job 19:3, where it mentions 10 days and it mentions it in the context of there's a limit. 
There's a governor on this. It's not going to go on forever. It's not the second death. It's not going to go on forever and ever. There's going to be suffering. It's going to be temporary. It's going to be 10 days. It has a limit. Can't go by that. It's the sovereign Lord saying, yeah, there's suffering, but it's under my governor. It's, it's, it's limited. You're going to have tribulation 10 days, and now here's another president imperative. You must continually be faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Not a crown, the crown of life. So you must be faithful unto death. Look. Let him who has an ear hear what the Holy Spirit is saying today to the church is plural. Let every individual in the church hear what he's saying. Because this is for all of us. You must remain faithful unto death. Everybody here. That may come at hospice. For you and I, it may come with cancer. It may come in a car wreck. However it comes, for every 100 people born, 100 people die. Death is total in every generation. And the Lord is just saying, look, this is a temporary deal. I've taken care of eternity. I want you to remain faithful unto death. Just remain faithful. Because, look, here's our faith, right? We believe this, we believe that. You know, the, the church is so jerked around by heretics I believe I'm going to prosper I believe I'll never get sick no no faith is to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he paid the price so you can live forever that's what faith is about and when we finally are in that place whether it's hospice where we're taking our last breath all of the faith of your entire life comes there, and that's where the rubber meets the road, because you're going to believe without anybody around you, without your spouse, without your kids, without your parents, you're going to believe there. All right, Lord, when I take my last breath because of your blood, I'm going to go right to the other side, and your arms are going to be open. You're going to receive me in the glory. That's what faith is for. Okay? That's what faith is for. Yeah, you should clap. It's a good thing. So he tells all of us, be faithful unto death. This is something that's not an option. Look, Paul says we need to walk worthy of the vocation we're called to. That's part of our vocation. It isn't to be in this world forever. That's part. The transition is part of our vocation. Paul said in in 2 Timothy that death hath been abolished. That means the power has been taken out of it. Like, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? So for you and I... Death no longer has power. Death is not going to end my relationships. Wonderfully, I'm going to see my kids on the other side. If I go before them and they're standing around my bed in the hospital, I don't care whether they're president or whether they're a trash collector. None of that matters. If they know Jesus Christ, I'm just saying see you in the morning. I have eternity with them. So it's not the end of relationships for me. It's the beginning of eternal relationships. I have five grandchildren in glory. And I'm going to get to know them and spend eternity with them. I'm going to see my kids and grandkids that are in this world there. I'm going to see my parents there. I'm going to see my grandpa there. I'm going to see Spurgeon. I'm going to see Whitfield. I'm going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's the time of relations are not ending for me when I read my last. Wealth is not ending. Whatever I accrue in this life, 
I told my wife, you're going to see more money if I kick the bucket than if I live because the insurance policy is going to give you more than I make. You know, whatever wealth you grew in this world, we're not wealthy till we get there. It doesn't end wealth. It begins wealth. It doesn't end light. We step through that into the light of glory. That's we, We're not saying goodbye to light. All of what we're living for, you know, the vocation we're called to is because of the blood of Christ to step through into that. And he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The first, uh, James chapter 1 talks about it also. You endure temptation, you get the crown of life. Paul says, those who love the Lord's appearing, there's the crown of righteousness. He says to the Thessalonians, are you not my crown of rejoicing? You know, evangelists have that crown of rejoicing as they see others in glory. There's these different crowns the New Testament speaks of. You want you want those. We talked about it. You want crowns. We're going to get to chapter 4 or 5. You're going to talk them. You need some crowns there. You know, one of those little beanie caps. You can get crowns. He says here then, look, there's the, the challenge and the promise. He that hath an ear can reach up and check. He's talking to you. Let him hear. Let him be hearing what the Spirit saith. Again, the TH in the King James means it's a present tense. What the Spirit is saying unto the churches, not just Smyrna, churches plural. Look, the 20th century, we're just coming into the 21st century. The 20th century was the heaviest century of martyrdom in the history of the church. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than all 19th centuries before that combined. Pol Pot, you know, the, the czars in Russia, you know, Nazi Germany. You, you just go through the world. There are more Christians martyred in the last 100 years than the 1900 years before that. So we're reading this today. It doesn't kind of get under our skin, may not get to our heart completely, but this is written to this church. Smyrna means myrrh, you know, that with Jesus, gold, frankincense, and Smyrna, you know, or Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus bring 100 pounds of aloes and Smyrna, you know, it was involved in embalming. It's what an interesting name for the city. But the one who overcomes here, he says, he will receive the crown of life. And he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying in the churches. He that overcometh, T-H, is in the process, who lives that way. The overcomer, the one overcoming, shall not be hurt of the second death. We get to Revelation 20. We'll look at that second death in great detail. There are two deaths. There is a physical death. There is an eternal death. You guys, you know that old t-shirt. I'm not sure if we still have them around. It said, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Born once means you're just born physically. If, if you're not born again and all you have is physical life, you're going to die twice. You'll die physically, then you'll die eternally, separated from God. If you're born twice, you're born whatever your birthday is, and then you're born of the Spirit, you're born again, then you're only going to die once, a physical death, but no death after that. If you're watching on live stream, you're here today and you never come to Christ, you need to think about this. 
You know, it, one of the things that's been great about the insanity this year, 2020, who wants another year like that? It has sharpened the thinking of many people and made them realize life is fragile. We've gone through a paradigm shift. Will it ever be the same? All the things I was holding on to seem to be slipping through my fingers. It's a great time to think of what Jesus is promising, both the church and the unsafe world. If you're only born once, you're going to die twice. When you breathe your last breath, you will die physically. And when you're cast into outer darkness, you will die eternally. That's unthinkable to me that anybody would suffer forever and forever and forever. The Bible says hell was created for Satan and for his angels, not for men. Men go there stubbornly. If you're born twice... You're born when you're born, and then somewhere along the line, you accept Christ. Okay, Lord, I'm accepting your forgiveness, that you died on the cross for me. I know I need that. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. The old bag of bones, that's all. You won't die. The second death has no power over you. You guys all good with that? Everybody here has been born twice. Can I see? Okay, let me look at the people that are not sure. Okay. Everybody here has been born once. Can I see? Okay, you've been born once. Anybody? Born once? Has not been born again? Has not come to Christ? Knows they need to be saved this morning. Anybody know they need to be saved this morning? Stand up if you want to do that. If there's, I'm going to have the musicians come. If there's anybody here who doesn't know where they're going to go when they die, whether they're going to go to heaven or hell, don't leave this place or don't leave the TV screen without knowing that. You can... In- Incredible simplicity. Jesus said, unless you receive the kingdom as a little child, you'll in no wise enter in. You'll in no wise enter in. So I'm going to pray right now. We'll end the service. We'll all stand and worship. But uh, as, as I'm praying, if you want to accept Christ today, I encourage you to stand wherever you are. After the service, get down here. We want to give you a Bible, some literature. We don't want your email, your address, your phone number. We want nothing from you. We want everything for you. But you need to get saved. You can't go into eternity and say, I never had a chance. Because they got the replay thing there. And it'll be, oh, really? I was, I was trying to get across to you with my love and find forgiveness. There you were, sitting, listening. And through pride or fear or something else, you refused to respond. Too proud to have somebody else die in your place. You're on a battlefield. Somebody who takes the bullet for you is a hero. Jesus took the bullet for you. Father, we put these things before you as we pray today. We ask, Lord, that you would get the hearts of those maybe here, maybe watching, Lord, or maybe when this replay somewhere, that have never come, only been born once, Lord, that are on schedule unless that changes to die twice, Lord. Get hold of their hearts, Lord Jesus. Pull them into your arms, Lord. Wash them and cleanse them. Lord, give them the the only vaccination, vaccination that really matters, Lord, the vaccine that protects from the second death. And Lord, let us live our lives considering these things. Lord, we live in in an insular society. We know we have brothers and sisters. Lord, put it on our hearts to pray for them, Lord, in the morning, in the evening, to remember we have 
brothers and sisters around the world in prison that are being persecuted, beaten, and martyred. Lord, we know if the tables ever change, we certainly would want them praying for us. So, Lord, let us hear what the Spirit is saying today. We put this before you, Lord. We pray in your name.